What up, man? Sit down. Now I'm Ray Ray all day. Oh, man, I'm digging that cowboy hat, right? Like And I'm Ray Ray all day. What up, Ray? Yeah, tell us, Ray. What's up? The sky's up, man. You you look like you're having a bad night tonight. I didn't want to say anything, but uh, you're wearing a gray shirt tonight. You okay? Yeah, man. A little off his game. Yeah. That's called last minute run out the door. He's a gray cowboy. Yeah. He's no longer Mr. Gay Cowboy. No no longer. You got some gray skies going on over there, Ray? (laughs) In humanitarian world or what's going on, dude? All on my chin. All on your chin, yeah. Oh. Those look like, yeah, those do look, that does look like a storm cloud on your chin. Hey, we Wait for get, some rain to come out of that thing. Man, I looked at some pictures from just a couple years ago, and I was like, good Lord have mercy. Well, it's funny you say that, because I was on your Facebook page the other day, and I was looking at pictures, I'm like, who the hell's that guy with Ray's wife? Yeah, exactly. Oh. It's crazy, right? Well, yeah, man. You actually had hair in those pictures, yeah, bro. Yeah, dude. Just, I had to take double take. I'm like, who's this guy with a red hair? Yeah, I always told, I always told my <laughs> wife, I said, I said, boy, Sarah's downgraded. <laughs> <laughs> I told my wife, I said, uh, I said, the job makes it fall out and y'all make it turn gray. Well, don't feel bad because Candy looks at old pictures of us and people ask who was the guy that ate, <laughs> ate her husband. <laughs> you know what I'm it's like that look, that guy looks a lot like John, but John looks like he ate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. It. You got to love the wives, man. Well, you got to love. Yeah, the you wife, do. You know what I'm saying? Memory lane. If any, anybody that's willing to sleep next to this, I got to give them kudos. <laughs> I mean. I know one thing for sure that the one thing our three wives have in common, they all got they all got cast iron stomachs. Yeah, well, you know that right. If they wake up next to us three guys and they're still going, they, they're all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anything that can bleed for seven days and lives, I'm afraid of that. You <laughs> yeah, ain't kidding. No kidding. That's that's perseverance right there. <laughs> you dang right. You know, speaking of memory lane, you had a little trip down memory lane. Yeah, I actually had uh, went on a little bit of a week vac- vacation and uh, went back to the old neck of the woods and. Was able to walk around and look at some of the old days. Uh, checked out my old high school, my old middle school, and went by the old projects. You know, it's funny how things change. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you go back to the projects, it's like they made them look good now. I mean, I understand everything it's looked like, so big when you were young. Well, no, I mean it, everything looked like shit when I was younger. You know what I'm saying? I go back and these things look like condos. It's like what the hell happened, man? Poor people will look better off these days than rich people, I guess. Oh yeah. Hmm. I mean, they had sidewalks in there and had, you know, little curbs and everything. And I'm thinking, this ain't the place I grew up in. It's actually siding on the side of the houses. I saw some of them. Yeah. Some of them look like they had uh, brick, like yeah. the old brownstones. Well, the, the the projects actually back in the day was it was for the military, uh, you know, so it was, a, it was military housing mm-hmm. initially uh, back, you know, in World War Two. And so when they when they had the military, because it used to be a base, actually, in Attenborough, mm-hmm. where I grew up. So when we went in there, it went from military housing to low income housing. Yeah. So you had kind of actually had a mixture. You know, there was some old vets that still lived there when I was there. And, you know, then you have the section eights like like me and my folks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, John, John, Johnny goes back there and he's like, damn, these poor people, they got it made now. Yeah, man, I they don't I know was, what it is to suffer. I wish I was poor like this when I was coming up. <laughs> you know, they all got decent cars parked there. They'll probably got flat screen TVs and everything else. I had that damn floor model. You remember the ones that used to sit on the floor and you oh, go, go ahead. 
had the stereo in the oh, top. Yeah. The record, oh, yeah. the record player. The oh, yeah, the record player. Mm-hmm. And, and he actually had to turn the dial. Oh yeah, on the yep. TV. You know, well, yeah, there was no remote back when you were the remote. Well, hey, I, I get up. I'll get the t- go turn the channel. That's what you Our, had kids for. Yep. Our uh, station back then was channel fifty six. That's what they had on everything. Channel fifty six. You know, the best part about those those floor units is once they took a shit and died out, and you bought a new TV, you just set it right on top of the floor unit. Yeah. No need to get rid of it. No. It's a big piece of furniture. Built in entertainment center, baby. Exactly, man. Oh yeah. Those are the good old days. The good old days. Yeah. You know, during those good old days when we were growing up, thinking about being a child, you know, what it was to be a child and the things that impacted you during your childhood. So of course, where you lived was a huge impact on how you grew up and what you thought, the way you thought of life in general. And there's a lot of different things that impact, impacted us as children, you know, because we grew up in two completely, you know, different areas. Well, I mean, we used to think if you lived in a house, you were rich. Right. Mm, Yeah. And and it didn't matter how, how big it was. You know, if you go to Massachusetts and you go to them towns, then a lot of small houses, right. The houses, you, the floor, the, Houses here in Florida are like mansions compared to the houses in, in Mass. Right. You get a 2,000 square foot house in Massachusetts. That's huge. Yeah. You know, so, you know, when I was coming up, you'd see a little salt box house and you'd think, man, those people must be rich. A little 750, 800 square foot house. Right. And, yeah. and that's no exaggeration. A lot of them are small. Right. You know? Salt box. Yeah. I'd never heard that before. Cracker box. A salt, salt box. box house. Yeah. Yeah. Cracker box. Yeah. Another thing, another big thing too is with me, I've always been a car guy my whole perception of, you know, somebody who made it was the car that they drove. Because we grew up, you know, back when we were kids, there was no such thing as a minivan. They didn't exist back then. You didn't have a minivan. You had a station wagon. Well, yeah, you used to sleep in the back window of the car. Remember? Right. No no, no seatbelts. Or that little seat in the very back of the station well, wagon. That's not that all face- we used to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but the station wagon had that seat in the back that faced backwards. So you were always looking at the traffic behind you. Oh like yeah, you got the, stuck back. My in the aunt back. had a nice station wagon with the wood panels on the side. Remember that? A woody. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I tell you what, we grew up with a white van, no windows. Did you guys have any clown masks in that van? No clown masks. <laughs> <laughs> my dad. My dad. Roll of duct tape, some trash bags. <laughs> my dad literally made wooden benches in the back of this van, oh, yeah. and that was our car. Well, dude, when we were coming up, if you had a van, there was a bed in the back of that place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shag carpet. Yeah, yeah. Teardrop my windows. Buddy, Open up the double doors and the smoke pours out. Yeah, my buddy Mallow and his brother was a hippie. He had a van and it had a bed in the back. I mean, people were living in that van. Yeah. <laughs> Bumper Crazy. sticker says, if this van's rocking, don't come and knock. Fast it. times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> Mr. Hand. You know, I, I look back and I'm trying to figure out what really shaped us? Was it really so much as where we lived or was it more of the influences we had? You know, was it the people we grew up, we grew up around? Was it our parents, our uh, step parents, uncles, aunts, all that good stuff? Teachers, coaches. Yeah. There's a lot of people that, you know, I I believe that God puts in your life on that journey you go on that help impact you and mold you and shape you as you go along. And a lot of times when you're in that environment or that situation, you don't even realize what's going on. Right. And, you know, we did a deal about mentorship, but there's not everybody in your life is a mentor. There are people that come into your life and they have an impact, either positive or negative. And it's just for a very short period of time. Right. Yeah. You ran, you ran across such an individual the other night. Oh, yeah. A certain coach. Influence. Yeah. 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 It, 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 
it, it was funny because I was talking to Ray. One of the movies I, I was watching a while back was called When the Game Stands Tall, right? Right. And in this movie, you got this kid, high school football player, undefeated football team. This legacy's going on. 150 right? games or the something like that. Yeah, yeah, the streak. They call it the streak, right? And this kid's working on possibly breaking a record for the number of touchdowns or whatever. And in the movie, you know, the father is so obsessed with uh, his son breaking this record to the point where it's not even about the record being the son's record. The father turned it into his record. Right. I, you know, right. there's a scene in the movie. He's like, I want that record. You're going to get me that record. And, you, and you're sitting there watching. I go, man, that's freaking crazy. I mean, what father puts that on that kid? Right. And he said, this, this stuff can't be real. And I got to tell you something. You, you go back to what you just mentioned, Fritz. I saw it alive and well, large and in charge the other night. And it was at the most strangest environment that I've ever been in where I, where I saw two men that were so caught up in themselves that they lost sight of everything else. During a fundraising event. I think that's more common than we know. It's sad. I mean, we're at a powder puff female flag football game for seniors, juniors, freshmen, and sophomores, right? These girls are out there playing football. The guys are supposed to dress up as cheerleaders. It's a fundraiser event. These girls actually pay to play, you know, and it's, it's a memory, right? They're building this memory of, you know, their school time. And for my, my daughter, for instance, she's a senior this year. So, you know, this is her senior year. So this is a memory that she's going to build for the rest of her life. Right. Which, which is one of the few with all the COVID and everything that's going on right, right. now. These, half, oh, these yeah. kids ain't in school right now. There's uh, some of them are, are doing at, uh, uh, online classes and everything else. And so, you know, there's social distancing, they're having to wear masks. It's, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with these kids. You know, we, we try to make a big thing about it with our family. You know, the wife made shirts and everything, you know, uh, I call my daughter Bwaby. And a lot of people laugh, say, you mean baby? I said, no, Bwaby. There's a lot of babies in the world, but there's only one Bwaby. You know what I'm saying? And nice. so that's kind of something special between me and my daughter. So it said like Bwaby's dad on the back with her number, you know, and then it said Grace's mom, uh, a G bug is my, cause my wife calls her bug, you know, G bugs, mom, and then G bugs, bro. And it's my son's got a shirt and granny's got a shirt and, and her uncle Chris is there. We're all sitting there, you know, going to this event, you know, it's, it's senior year. It's a big deal for her. Right. And I, and I'm one of them guys. I don't get caught up and I don't want to be one of them parents, but these girls pay to play. They're going to have a good time. And you go there and you're sitting there watching your daughter's not even on the field. So the first game goes by and my daughter comes up afterwards and she's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't even get a chance to play. And then he, he said, the coach says to us that we suck and it's over and we lost. And she goes, he didn't even know we won the game. <laughs> and I'm like, he's telling you, you guys suck. And she's like, yeah, he said that we suck and it, this is that. And I'm like, so now I'm kind of like, well, I'm going to kind of, you know, maybe she's being a little sensitive, you know, kind of let it, let it go a little bit. Well, then she goes down there. I look over and he's got all these girls that didn't play in the last game in a huddle. My daughter comes walking up and she looks at me and she says, I'm done. I'm done. And I'm like, what do you mean you're done? I mean, what, what are you talking about? I'm done. He just told us that we all suck, that we don't have any athletic ability and he's not going to play us. <laughs> and I said, excuse me. He goes, oh boy. I go, I go, excuse me. She said, yeah. <laughs> and then she said, and on top of that, he, I said, because I spoke up and said to him, that's not right, Dad, that we paid to play and, and know every girl should get on the field and play. And, and he looked at me and said, well, ask yourself this question. Uh, should you, who's not athletic, go out there and play and lose? 
or should we play the girls that are athletic so that they can win? My daughter's like, well, I'd rather play because I paid to play and lose than to sit here and watch other people play. And he's like, yeah, I don't think so. That's crazy. And That's I'm, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm sitting here going, is this real? I mean, this is girls flag football fundraiser, a mm. fundraiser. Wow. These girls pay to play. Yeah. You know, to have fun, to have a good time. So now I'm sitting there and I'm on the, I'm in the bleachers. Right. And I'm thinking, don't be that dad, dude. You don't want to be that guy. Make a big deal about it. But then I start you thinking like action news. And then I start thinking like this, guys. I start thinking, wait a second. What have you taught your kids their entire life? You've taught your kids that when something's not right, you stand up. You stand up for yourself and you stand up for others. This guy just looked at my daughter and told us she sucks and doesn't have any athletic ability and she's not going to play. And I'm sitting here on my ass and not going to do anything about that. Nah. Oh, heck no. So I get up and I went down there and I confronted him. And I don't want to get into all the details, but the bottom line is this. What it really made me think about in this whole situation is what has happened to us as men? Right. Are we that shallow and that insecure and that selfish that we would take an event like a flag football game and make it about us? And I was thinking, do these two guys think they're coaching in the Super Bowl? I mean, right. what, is this like, you think you're Belichick or Shula or you know, George Hallis? I mean, yeah. what, what the hell? You know, I mean, Tom Landry. I mean, these girls, this is, this is their night. And that's what, I, one of the things I will say that I did say to the, to the gentleman, and there's a few other things and I won't get into all that, but I said, this ain't about you and it ain't about me. It's about them. Right. I mean, where have we gone as a man that we would allow that to control us? You know, just like in that movie, I thought this is so out of the ordinary. This does this, 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 this shit doesn't happen. I mean, what father would do this to his kid? And I'm sitting here watching. And here's the funny part. The guy that said all this to my daughter couldn't throw a football from the front end of my car to the back end of my car. He has probably half the problem. And that that is a problem. Yeah. He throws a set of balls through the girls. Yeah. The the win. He has to win. Right. He has to win. And at at what cost? You know what I mean? Right. Right. And, And so many guys struggle with that. Right. It's like they find their validity or their value in something as pathetic as winning a flag football game with girls. Don't get me wrong. I want to say girls like as a negative. What I'm trying to say when I'm saying that is this. Most of the time, girls don't play football. Okay. It's not a sport where a lot of girls play football. So it's not, you know, they don't typically play. So, you know, most girls. What part of powder puff don't you get? On the the average, most girls physically just don't athletically wise are not fit to play football because they don't play the sport. Soccer, hockey, all those different things. Just like, I mean, I'm no good on a field hockey, you know. Right. Playing field hockey. You know what I'm saying? So cheerleading wouldn't be out. I mean, I feel I, bad I for the guy to trying watch, to catch me. I'd pay to watch that though, Johnny. I, you would, but that I mean, would be interesting. Cheerleading would be worse. Think about the guy that's at the bottom of the pyramid and I'm on top. 
Oh, I don't know. I'm, uh, I can go to jail for killing somebody. I'm thinking about the field hockey with a like the tennis Johnny skirt that they tsunami. wear. Yeah, see Johnny running around up and down the field. You talk about smelling bacon. Yeah, Lord have tsunami. Yeah, baby. There he goes. There comes a full Marty. Baby. There he comes. Uh, Look out! He's on top of the pile this time, Chris. Uh, something but, really but, bad is about to happen. <laughs> but that guy's gonna pop like a roach down there. Yeah, like, <laughs> gonna pop like a eyes like are, a swelled up. I sauce. think I see some fluid coming out the side. It's not good. Eyes are bulging out like a stress ball. Let's go ball. to commercial. Yeah. You know, like, like a bratwurst getting Pan ready away. to burst. Pan away. But I mean, if you look at it, I mean, do we understand the damage left in the wake? We, you know, before we even hit that is what are they trying to fill? What void are they trying to fill? I mean, what is it? There, there has to be a hole in them, a huge hole in them that they're trying to fill through these kids. Well, their father probably told them they sucked. That very well could be. But as men, it's our responsibility to identify that and to not bring that out. Pass into on others. the negativity. You know, right. right. You know, we don't have a right. Just be, and we've talked about this in the show many times. I mean, we, we've all grown up in different environments. I mean, I mean, heck, uh, Fritz, you, you've been a part of being a roadie before. You've been around a lot of stuff in your life, right? Oh, man, I've seen yeah. some stuff. Right. You've seen some. Uh, Does that give you the right to, to do that stuff? Oh, no. No. You have to live that life? No. You know, so we should learn as men that, you know, there's certain things that we shouldn't do. And trying to find your value in, in trying to live vicariously through some kids in a game. I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, guys get so ate up with sports with their kids. It's like, man, what mm-hmm. the hell are we doing? I mean, the, the amount of weight and pressure that you're putting on your kid to try to perform at a certain level is ridiculous. And, and, you know, so many times the kid gets burnout. Right. Uh, the kid feels, you know, rejected or feels inadequate. And, and what we look back and we're trying to live vicariously, you're trying to fill a void in you and you're using your child as a tool to do it. It's, it really, it's pathetic. Right. And then as, as you're getting to, you don't even recognize the damage that is left in that wake. That, you know, while, while you're doing that and you're yelling at them and raising hell and trying to get them to, you know, do this and do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. I want that record. You got to give me that record. You don't even realize what you're doing to that child, mm-hmm. whether it be your child, whether it be the school, if you're, if you're the coach at the school, whether it be the kids that are underneath you, you've got to see what's happening there, but they're not paying attention. We're not, we're not seeing it. Well, we see it a lot. A lot of times it's really easy to look at it from, from an athletic standpoint. We can use sports as, as a, as an example, but yeah. there are people that do it with their kids with grades in yeah. school. Yeah. Expectations of, you know, you got to be a straight A student. I got news for you. Not every kid's a straight A student. Right. I think these little junior pageants and things like that are a real prime example of that. Yeah. What they put their kids through for right. these beauty pageants. Beauty pageants, these dance schools. And there's nothing, listen, there's nothing wrong with all these things, but when you make that the focal point of their whole existence and you put the, all the value of your child up into that, you're doing a huge disservice to your child. Well, it's actually all of your value you're putting in your child. I was just going to say that, That's exactly right. Yeah, it's not right. even your child's value. It's your value. But that's the way that the child receives it. Yeah. And that's yeah. the problem. Like, if I don't do well at this, mom or dad's not going to be proud of me. Or love me. Or love me, yeah. You know, I I, I actually caught myself, and it, it, it didn't have anything to do with grades or sports or anything like that, but me being the humanitarian... I'm always out. It's just in my DNA that I look out for, for ways to help. I'm constantly, my head's on a swivel, just looking to see what I can do to help people. And I caught myself getting pissed off at my kids and even my wife 
How selfish are you guys? Why can't you do this? Why can't you just look around and see what's going on and open your eyes and pay attention to see where you can help somebody? And I would just realize that I'm trying to make them me. And I really, I mean, it was, it, it was, it's, I still struggle with it because it's not something you just give up on, mm -hmm. but I realize that they're not me. What, what am I trying to fill within me through them? Well, I think the reality of it is we're going to be candid with ourselves. We feel like if we don't impart that on our kids that we failed. Yeah. Like if my kid, if you know, you're big in a humanitarian acts, which is a good thing, but if my kid doesn't adopt that or take on that same philosophy, the way I failed as a father, because why is my kid not out there thinking and doing the things that I'm thinking and doing? The reality of it is they're not us. And we've talked about that on another podcast. And so that pressure that we're putting on them actually pushes them in another direction. Right. It can also force them to not want to do that because they're saying that, well, my dad expects me to do this and that's not what I want to do. Right. And like we were saying earlier, we've got to be aware. And it, I actually was, I actually did catch it that I could see when I would get onto my kids about that, just watch them shrink. I could just see it in their heads. Like, man, why didn't I see that? You know, dad's not, dad's not happy with me now because I didn't help that person or they didn't see that, or I didn't pick that up or I didn't do this. I mean, it was, it was a hard pill to swallow because you gotta, you have to swallow your pride at that point and your basically your arrogance and open up your brain and see what's actually happening. Well, yeah, God has a funny way of humbling a man. Yeah. yeah, you got that right. And it ain't easy and it ain't comfortable. No, it sucks. It, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, when you have to look at yourself in the mirror and realize, man, I just screwed this up because the damage that it does. And that's the thing. It's just like, for instance, uh, you know, for us is, you know, I'll throw this in there tonight about being a believer. If we force our faith on our kids and expect them to have the same amount of faith that we have or the same discipline in their faith that we have, because as you guys know, I've been fully involved in, in a lot of men's groups and, and activities and things. If I expect my son to do that and he doesn't live up to that, well, then he feels like he's a failure. Right. That may not be who he is. Right. You know, and, and so we have to be careful that we're not trying to live through our children in areas of our life that, you know, I screwed this up and I wish I would have done this earlier in my life. So now let me push this on my kid and I can make up for all that lost time because they're going to come in and they're going to, they're going to champion this cause. And at the end of the day, like, I don't want to do that. I mean, how many times do you see in business? Let's look at, look at that from a standpoint for the, you guys out there that own your own businesses. Right. When you're trying to force that business on your children and then all of a sudden, when it's time for them to step up and take over, how many times you see the kids say, I don't want it. Yeah. Don't want it. Or they sell it off or they get rid of it or they go off to school or do something else. They don't want no part of the family business. And it's because it's been forced down their throat their entire lives. Right. And they're like, I want to get the hell away from that. And it's the same thing with for us, which is really uh, dangerous as believers is we force feed this to our kids too much. Then they go off to college or they go off to the military or whatever they do. They're like, I. Whew, I finally got away from the old man. Now I can go do what I want. Yeah. And, what, and how many other times have you heard the kids say, you know what? You know, mom or dad, they love church more than they love me. They love work more than they love me. They love this football game more than they love me because the parents are constantly putting that on the kids. Performance break, performance based relationships. Right. Exactly. Dangerous. Exactly. I mean, if, if, if you only praise your child when they get an A, and you go, well, you got to be, you should have got an A. I mean, what, what are you doing? It's never good enough. It's never good enough. Now we had a story I told, you know, about cleaning the bathroom. Yeah. Same thing. I got my ass whooped, but 
<laughs> same thing. But it's but it's true though. You get that that feeling as a child. You're like, well, no matter what I do, it's never good enough. So, and then some kids go, well, screw it. Right. No. You know. And we as men got to sit back and go, well, what are we trying to achieve here? I mean, do we want our kids to be perfect when we were never perfect? Right. And a lot of times it's 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 driven out of two certain areas in our life. I really believe, and it's selfishness and fear. Yeah. The fear of them failing or not doing well or not succeeding and selfishness because there's a certain thing that we want or we expect out of our children. And the problem is, is sometimes we can put that on other people's children too. When we're put in a situation like the other night, when you, you got two guys that are coaching a bunch of 17 year old girls, I got to win. This is about me. It ain't about you. I don't care about you. Right. We got to win, you know, and we see that, we see that in coaching. We see it in, you know, if it manifests and, you know, we talk about dance and, and even in theater, I mean, all these different activities when people get caught up in the performance-based relationship, kids with school, family businesses, jobs, uh, money. You know, I can remember early on in my marriage, I felt very attacked a lot of times by my mother-in-law because she thought I made less money than my wife and she would make comments about it. I didn't, but it was like, and it was always, she wanted a better, she wanted me to have a better opportunity. And she meant well, but she would say things like, well, why don't you try getting a job over here? Or why don't you try doing this? And why can't you work over here like such and such? And he's doing this and he's making this and he's doing that. He's sitting back. And finally, one day I just looked at her and said, is my job like not good enough for you or something? Well, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm like, do you think I make less money than your daughter? Well, you do, don't you? I'm like, no, I don't make less money. And even if I did, who cares? Right. You know, yeah, it's none of your damn business, <laughs> but it wasn't a, it wasn't a situation where it was coming from a place of being malice. It was more about, I'm, I want to help you better yourself in a way, but right. it was coming across to me. Like your job's not good enough. You're not good. enough, And, that, and the, that's what we're saying to our kids. When we do that too, you're right. not good enough. Yep. And that's where we got to be real careful with, you know, the weight that our words carry, Oof. you know, because they, our words carry a lot more weight than we, than we think. There's always this great analogy that I love. And it says, uh, you take a piece of paper and you write down all the bad things that you said, right? And then you, then you crumple, you crumple up the paper. And that's like you saying, I'm sorry. Well, you open it back up and sorry doesn't cover all the words that you've already said. So you've got to be super cautious. Yeah. They're still there. They're still there. Sure. You said, I'm sorry. The paper's wrinkled now, but they're still there. That's it. Exactly. And that's what we really, really got to be aware of as men and not just with our kids, but with our wives. Oh yeah. You know, if we're, if we're responsible, if we're uh, a boss over, you know, other employees, same thing. You got to be aware of the weight that you carry, your words carry. You may say things that you shouldn't say because you heard it up in corporate that has no business for your employees and you've got to, once you've said them, you're not taking them. There's, there's nothing you can do to take it back. Well, the other thing I'm getting back to the wife thing. I mean, we can put it false expectations on our wives and guys want to live vicariously through their wives too. Like, you know, the things that she does and how she represents herself and how she handles herself, the way that she walks, the way she talks. I mean, we, we get some pretty shallow dudes. I yeah. mean, that want to have these trophy wives and, you know, want them, their wife to be the, the shining example of what a wife should be. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a woman, right. especially in a world where they're already feeling inadequate. Right. Women are under attack big time in this country. Oh, I yeah. mean, 
In our culture today, I mean, guys, we can, listen, let's keep it real. We can put on some weight, throw a beard on our face, start balding, you throw a hat, you know what I'm saying? We walk around, we don't care, it's the dad bod, we're good, right? These poor ladies, man, they they put on five, 10 pounds and they feel like, you know, they're just, they don't look good, they don't feel good and they can't wear this, this doesn't fit right and this doesn't look good and quite honestly, women rip each other to shreds anyway, right? you know, and so- and then when we put that weight on our wives, to, you know, you need to look a certain way, act a certain way and, and talk a certain way and all these other false expectations on a performance-based relationship. We don't understand that the damage we're doing through the words there. Right. And we, we want to look at it like, well, she's a representation of me. She needs to look this way for me because I want people to look good at me. Right. That's a very selfish, selfish uh, stand to take when it comes to your spouse. Right. It ain't about you. Now, I'm a firm believer in a home that we represent each other. Correct. And the way that in which we carry ourselves as people, the way that we treat people, the way that we walk things out, our morality, our character, all those, our integrity, all those things are important. But, you know, for those dudes out there, you're putting all this weight on your wife to make her look a certain way so you can feel good about you because you got a good looking wife. You need to grow up. And and like I was saying earlier, what I caught myself doing, you know, why didn't you pick that up? Why didn't you see that? What do you mean we're out of chips? Don't you order the groceries? Just simple everyday things. That we take for granted. Yeah. And I, and I actually realized today that, and I didn't realize it, the tone, the tone of your words with a woman can mean a whole lot. I was, <laughs> this is funny. I was bending over. We were putting groceries away this morning. I was bending over in the, in the freezer trying to move things around. And you know, once you once you get past forty, you don't do anything without making a noise. You can't, oh, yeah. you can't you can't reach for the remote control. I'm going, oh yeah, you know, you so, feel everything. Oh, oh, you do. So I'm bent over the freezer and I'm moving things around. I'm like, yeah, and she's like, well, what the hell did I do now? And I'm like, I turn around, I'm like, huh? She's like, what are you grunting and pissing and moaning about? I'm like, I'm old. I'm I'm, I'm all I'm all hunched over. Bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> but it became apparent to me at that uh, point yeah. that snack crackling, yeah, crap grunting and just groaning. And but it became apparent to me that my tone and just the noises I make have had a profound effect on my wife. Well, yeah, and it also wakes you up to the reality of you've obviously done or did something before that's caused her to automatically be on the defensive. So yep, she, she's she's waiting. And yeah, she's waiting. And I'm going to be completely I'm the honest. Same way. I'll be honest with you. I screw it up. Dude, I'm yeah. going to be. Oh, man. Big time. Me too. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you all out there. This is the first time I'm figuring this shit out right here on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> honest to God. I'm I'm connecting dots right now. <laughs> That's talking what it's about all this. about. Yeah. Hey, I, I could see it in your eyes. If yeah. There was like four eyes over there. <laughs> yeah, so dude. All can, four of them started going. Yeah. I can, you got a, so you're looking at a watch you don't have. No, my freaking hair on my arms is standing up because well, yeah, I'm finally, you know, figuring it out. We do condition the people that we're, that we're in contact with that we have such a great impact on in our lives, which is typically our wives and our kids. And it's like when, when your kid looks at you and they're waiting for that hammer to drop, you got to ask yourself a question. Why is a kid waiting for the hammer to drop? Because you're always dropping a hammer. I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about me. Like sometimes I can tell by the look on my son's face, like he's waiting for me to react a certain way. And I have to ask myself, damn, I mean, why does he do that? Well, because you react a certain, and and he's waiting for that to come on certain situations. So as a father and and as a husband, you've got to step back and go, I need to really work on how I react 
Right. Uh, because I'm a very intense person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm an aggressive person. And sometimes it's like, we'll be out in the yard and it's, I'm hot and I'm sweaty. And I tell my son, you know, don't get your feelings hurt because dad's out here hot and sweaty. You know, when I'm hot and sweaty, I normally get pissed off and it ain't at you. Right. I'm more mad at me because I'm short, I'm fat and I'm old. <laughs> and, and, and I, I smell like bacon. And every time I got to bend over to pick up something, I'm mad at myself because I shouldn't eat that damn cheeseburger. Before <laughs> and, then I came the, out. and then the neighbors are offended. <laughs> but then, you know, after I'm done in the yard, I got to reward myself, you know, because I've worked hard with little ice cream. <laughs> it's, it's a damn vicious <laughs> circle. <laughs> you got to get the yard done before that truck comes by you're damn right brother hurry up sean i can hear him he just got in the neighborhood that's why i keep a skinny kid my kid's skinny he can run like Uh like a gazelle (laughs) that's bullshit (laughs) (laughs) but you know that that we have to understand the power in our words and the what the impact that we have on other people especially i'm just tell you something now guys if you're out there and you're coaching be very careful there's some children out there that don't have the best home lives and they've never had the best parents you know and they're sitting there and they're looking at you and you may be the only guy in their life that's a father representation for them. And if all they hear is negativity and yelling and screaming and disappointment, we're planting that seed in young people. And I know it from experience because sometimes I can look at my 20 year old son and I look at the look on his face and I know he's waiting for the ball to drop. And I, I go, oh shit, man. what kind of a impression have I left on him? You know, that's not what I want him to think about when he talks to his dad. And then we say things like, well, you should always be able to come to me and talk to me. Well, if I don't react and respond properly as a man, when he comes to me, why the hell is he going to come talk to me? Right. You know, if I don't respond well and, and talk to my daughter or my wife in the way that I should, when something's happening, why would they ever come talk to me? I mean, they, I mean we have to understand that those are certain things that we're, we're imparting upon our family and our children. Same thing in the workplace. You guys that are out there and you're managing people, man, if you don't know how to talk to people, you don't treat people right, they're not going to come to you. Why would they come to the guy that's going to yell at them and go off on them all the time? Yeah. You know, the, there's an old saying that says, double the praise is then ridicule. Quit making people pay for your past failures. Right. Ooh. Damn, Fritz. Quit well, it. You pull one out, baby. Ooh. Stop it. Yeah. Or your yeah. insecurities. you're feeding that seed and you're trying to make it up on that individual or individuals quit making them pay for your failures. You got to get up. You got to man up. You got to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I blew it. And sometimes some of you guys just need to shut up. And I got, and I got a man, brother. I'll be the first one to tell you. I sometimes got to tell myself, John, just shut up. Yep. I'm one of them. You know, I got to shut up because, you know, sometimes, you know, we don't hear what we need to hear because we're too busy talking. Right. Guys, the bottom line is, is that we have people around us all the time. Especially if you have a wife and children and your words have power and they have meaning. Listen, we all had our time. It's their time now. We're sitting here and we're trying to find value and validity in other people to try to make up for, as Fritz says, our past failures. Look, I'm not 18 anymore. I'm 46. I can't run like I used to. I can't jump like I used to. I'm not as strong as I used to be. Hell, after I mow the grass... I just need something cold to drink and a nice place to lay down. But you know what? That's okay because I had my time. It's their time now. And as men, we need to understand that we need to know when it's time to step back and get out of the way. There's a time and a place for everything. Allow them to make their own mistakes, to grow and create their own failures. 
at the end of the day, we just got to love them through it. And if you do that, I promise your relationships will be so much greater and so much stronger. Isn't that what we all want? We want beautiful relationships with the people we care about the most. And we want to make an impact on the people that God puts us around. And when we think about what comes out of our mouths, instead of worrying about what people might think about what's inside of us, well, you do that, my friends, and that's where the rubber meets the road. Thank you.